You're listening to the Design Engineering Podcast, where we explore topics important to Canada's mechanical engineers, product designers, and machine builders. I'm Mike McLeod, editor of Design Engineering Magazine, and in this episode, I interview Ilian Bonev, who is a professor in the Department of Automated Manufacturing Engineering at ETS University in Montreal, as well as a co-founder and co-owner of Mechademic Robotics. This Montreal-based company is highly regarded for its Mecha 500, the market's smallest six-axis robot, which has experienced a meteoric rise in the automation market in recent years. In fact, the company's revenue has grown by 242% since 2017. As a consequence, the company was recently included in the Deloitte Technology Fast 50 program, which recognizes Canada's 50 fastest-growing technology companies with the highest revenue growth percentage over the last four years. In part one of our two-part conversation, Ilian provides an overview of the Mecha 500, describes its unique capabilities, and delves into the advantages and challenges of six degrees of freedom robots in general. But first, a word from this episode's sponsor. Get connected with Masumi Electrical Components. You can discover hard-to-find, cost-effective, and high-quality components that are used across a wide variety of industries, including automotive, food and beverage, medical, warehouse, packaging, and more. Discover everything you need for your machinery to gear up for your next project by visiting MasumiUSA.com. With that, let's jump into the interview. Hi, Ilian. Welcome to the Design Engineering Podcast. Hello, Mike. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's uh, it's an honor to have you uh, to 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 be invited to your podcast. Uh, it's it's great for us too. Um, if you could take a few minutes just to introduce yourself uh, and and the company. Yeah, sure. So my name is Ilian Bonnef. I'm a co-founder of Mechademic, and I'm also a professor of. Uh, robotics at uh, the ETS, which is one of the biggest engineering uh, schools in uh, Canada. And uh, Mechademic, which was uh, born at the ETS um, with uh, former students of mine. Uh, so Mechademic is producing the, the smallest industrial robot, the smallest and most compact six-axis industrial robot on the market. And uh, this is so far we are we are the basically the leader the the the, mo the most uh, compact industrial robot ever, and this is why customers choose us the the, the very main uh, reason. And being compact, it's uh, actually the kind of the subject of this podcast because it's it's uh, a question of design. Sure. It's really a question of design. Yeah. 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 So the one that you're most known for the one you just mentioned is the the mecha 500 yeah so far the mecha 500 is our main uh, product a six axis industrial robot which is the size of um, you've probably seen pictures of it in the palm of a hand that that's my hand actually and oh. there is no photoshop in it you can really literally put in your hand and even uh, have your hand ex fully expanded you know it's not heavy uh, and that's that's all. There is no control. The controller is inside the base. There is a small um, power supply with the safety uh, emergency button and so on. And and that's it. So it's extremely compact, very small cables, thin cables, and you can easily connect to um, to computer, to a PLC, uh, different communication protocols. So very very easy to to start working with. 
Mm -hmm. Besides its diminutive size, what what makes the Mecca 500 different from other? Uh, it's a six axis, six axis or degrees of freedom robot. What makes it different from others? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if I make a comparison with all the industrial robots that I have in my lab, again, the main reason why customers buy our robot is because it's very compact. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it can go in places where no other robot can fit. The other big advantage, which I, again, as a, as a professor, I can uh, see this almost every day is you see, um, uh, it's, it's really easy to connect to the robot with a PC, for example, and to start doing stuff, uh, which is it's kind of an, it's not really fully open architecture, but it's a little bit open. So if, if I make a comparison to other robots in my lab, uh, sometimes my students, they will spend weeks and weeks only trying to, you know, connect to the robot from a PC, let's say and then do more advanced stuff because usually you know industrial robots they are standalone machines you have to uh, learn how to use their interface how to use the programming language they they uh, come up with you know sometimes you you don't want to just you know move the robot and do the standard stuff sometimes you want to do something more or simply you just want to do a simple pick and place and to do a sim simple pick and place, you still have to learn a whole programming language. Like, for example, in my robotics course, I teach with one brand of robots. And I still have to explain, even if students, all they do in my lab, you just pick, pick up blocks and then turn them, reorient them and put them on a table. I still have to explain, you know, how to connect to the robot, how to open the, um, uh, the software that runs on a PC. Uh, how to, uh, you know, lots of stuff, even though, you know, at the end, all we want to do is just pick up a block and put it somewhere. So, mm. so first it's easy uh, to connect, to start working with. And also, uh, it's kind of, um, you can easily, uh, actually there, there is no programming language. We just offer um, a set of uh, robotics commands like move J, move uh, poles and so on. And then if you want to do a logic, if you want to do whatever you want to do is you do it with your own uh, programming language. Like you can do it in Python, you can do it in C++, even in JavaScript if you want. Uh, or MATLAB, like I have students using the robot uh, directly from MATLAB, and it's very, very easy. Whereas, again, if you want to do the same with other industrial robots, some are, it's okay, but most of them, it's Im almost impossible. Like, you have to buy additional options, you have to be able to know C-sharp, for example, you have to be able to know this and that. It's really, hmm. all these industrial robots, they are very, very they are built like a closed environment, you know, you're not supposed right. to use something else like use MATLAB or whatever. Can a PLC be programmed to control the robot? Yeah, yeah, of course, any, anything, oh, okay. any, any kind of computer that supports uh, 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 TCPIP, um, I mean, internet connection. Uh, so you can use either TCPIP or EtherCAT uh, or uh, Ethernet IP. And then in the near future, we will offer additional communication protocols. Um, but again, if you um, 
if you simply want to do uh, like a simple task or even an advanced task, it's it's always like good if you can start immediately. You know, otherwise mm -hmm. it's um, you can always do you can do the same with other industrial robots, but you have to have a lot of experience. And of course, if you're if you're an integrator and you're used to this and that brand of robots, that's not a big problem. But not everyone has, you know, um, the resources to work with integrators. And sometimes they have just simple projects or they want to know how the robot works themselves. And um, so it's, it's, it's a big advantage being able to, you know, at least start with the robot very quickly. At the end, you know, whatever the robot, it's, it's still you still have the same problems of uh, optimizing the the um, the robot cell like uh, singularities euler angles so whatever the robot the, these kind of theoretical aspects you have them it's not like you know there there doesn't exist a robot which is like so simple it has no singularities you can you can ask the robot to go anywhere and it will go that that will never exist you know maybe one day Instead of industrial robots, there will be drones and then they have no limits. They can go everywhere or, I don't know, some kind of magnetic robot that can, you know, has no singularities. So maybe this will be simpler. But until then, you know, all six axis industrial robots, uh, you, you still need the knowledge, you know, of these singularities and so on, how to avoid them. Sure. Uh, but at least you don't have to spend like two or three weeks just to make the robot move because that's something I'm doing. I mean, not me, but my students. And I, I, I sometimes I, I feel really desperate because not some people are very, very, you know, capable of doing this and they never ask me questions, some students, but others, they're just like, I see them. Oh my God, you, you started your master's degree and you still haven't moved the robot yet because they want to use a PC, for example. So, of course, if you learn the, the programming language and if you do everything by the book, like how the, the, the robot is supposed to be used, yeah, then maybe two or three weeks would be enough. But then, you know, research means that we always try to do stuff that has never been done. Yeah. And then, uh, then, you, then you see these kind of problems. One thing that impressed me about it, just sort of comparing it to other popular sort of robot brands and it's it's just the level of precision that's possible with it i think it was i think i did the conversion it's like five microns uh, repeatability five micrometers five, yeah. yeah well it's um you know it, it's definitely one of the you know the most accurate the most precise actually the the, the term is precision repeatability mm -hmm. so it's definitely the most uh, precise industrial robot but you know to be honest the reason is that it, the robot is small and of course we use the same kind of technology uh, zero backlash uh, harmonic drive gearboxes that other smaller industrial robots use but for you know because everything is much smaller so the amplification of errors it's smaller mm. so that, that's it but of course it's still a, a main differentiator because you have some other competitors who have small compact robot arms but they are not precise so in that you know ours will be five micrometers precision uh, whereas all these 
other compact uh, robot arms will be, I don't know, one millimeter or 0.1 millimeter. But if you compare our robot with the standard small industrial robot, uh, it's, yeah, it's more precise, but it's about, let's say, three times more precise. It's, yeah. it's already, you know, small industrial robots are very precise, and often this is not the limiting factor. What's um, the, the problem in precision is actually the accuracy. So it's the, the accuracy, it's, it's when you say, when you tell the robot to move um, exactly one inch, let's say, but the robot moves 0.1 inch more or less. Or let's say you want to draw a line, cut, cut something, you know, and then instead of a line, it's a little bit curvy, you know. So that, I see. this again, every robot has this problem of inaccuracy. So we have to calibrate robots to improve this. But again, since our robot is smaller, since everything is machined and we do it in-house as well, yes. even without calibration, it's already quite good. But uh, if you calibrate it, then it, it's really much more accurate than other robots. But again, it's because of the size and the accurate um, machining and assembly of, of the robot. Yeah, I did want to get to that stuff because I think it's unique part. I mean, part of its size is uh, that advantage is, is simply that you guys have optimized the use of space and gone to some rather lengthy uh, methods to, to achieve that. I think you guys design your own drives just because the the ones off the shelf ones are too big to fit in the envelope that you wanted to get yeah, into and you yeah, basically precision everything grind everything and almost everything is either custom made or or made custom made by companies like Maxon or Harmonic Drives or we do it in house. Uh, we even, we we do machine everything in house. Uh, we uh, we even do the um, the electronics assembly in house. So, which is uh, well, the advantages of this is, of course, we control the quality uh, during the design stage. Uh, we can immediately test. We don't have to wait, you know, weeks uh, weeks for somebody to machine, and then we test. We we can do it basically. The design team they can you know machine this immediately and test it, then machine another uh, another uh, version and test it. One of the main differentiating factors behind the success of the Mecha 500, it's um, you know if if I take a parallel again with the way I don't know you know other industrial robots how they are designed, but at least if I look at my lab how we design robots and by the way. Jonathan, who is the CEO of the company, before starting Macademic, he was again a research assistant in my lab and he was designing robots this way. So we will basically, one student will make the design of the robots, mechanical design, then um, somebody from the ETS will machine the elements, uh, then some other student will do the controller design, so they will buy parts from, let's say, from Beckhoff, and they will assemble everything and then some other student will do the the control and then at the end you know the person who does the control he will say oh why uh, he or she why um, why did uh, did you put this kind of bumper here and uh, you're limiting the distance between leg one and leg two 
And then I no longer know why, because, you know, the first student left and so on. So that, that's the way it works in a lab. And probably it's kind of similar to other companies. Uh, but here, basically, uh, Jonathan, who is the head designer, he will, when designing the, the prototypes, he will think of everything because he has a very peculiar um, expertise. He was a precision machinist before joining the ETS. Yeah. for a bachelor's of engineering degree of electrical engineering degree so he is at the same time he he, he uses our machine tools he can use them and uh, when he designs something mechanically he knows how to design it so it's easy to machine right so it's uh, uh, faster to machine and uh, at the same time uh, he knows you know everything about electronics so he knows what kind of you know board can fit in this space what kind of drive can fit and where and so on so mm -hmm. you know we talk we often talk about mechatronics which is this kind of field that you know our mechatronics engineers are supposed to know everything about electronics and mechanical engineering but that's not true because mechatronics engineers they don't know how to machine anything they mm -hmm. don't you know they don't learn machining so yes they know how to how to make, I don't know, FEM analysis, and they know uh, about electronics, but it's not the same as, you know, being able to do basically everything. And yeah. that's, that's, that's definitely the reason why we are able to come up with some package so small, because, um, you know, it's, it's much easier when you have no design constraints, like you can have a big controller and then you can put everything, uh, like off the shelf uh, components, it's much easier for sure. So that holistic knowledge of his that sort of bridges that gap yeah. between the engineering part that may uh, idealize something but not realize the manufacturing limitations. And so he has that bridge between the engineering and the manufacturing side of it to, to realize what's, what's right. possible and what's not. He's able to make the first prototypes by himself, essentially. And then, of course, other engineers will, you know, make everything perfect. But at least the first idea, he's able to do everything. There's no back and forth. Like, uh, okay, uh, can I? Can you? Uh, can you design an electronics board that fits inside this small space? No, he, mm -hmm. he knows the answer. You know, right? That, that's, right. That's really a big differentiator. Sure. So. Um, just to get down to some of the specs, is this is not a collaborative robot, but it's more of in line with a smaller version of the the much larger kind of six axis uh, robots. Yes, one, exactly. One might yeah. see. Okay. Well, you know, well, there is no such thing as a collaborative robot. You know, there is uh, collaborative applications, and even okay, there won't be any soon. You know, I won't get into details, but there won't be any term such as collaborative robot. You know, ISO standards, they will never mention collaborative robots. It will be robots used in collaborative applications. And uh, <laughs> but no, we don't have any of the features that other collaborative robots, so-called collaborative robots offer. But, you know, it's a little bit the same as when, you know, these collaborative robot manufacturers uh, started like uh, several years ago, sure. uh, nothing said anything about, you know, collaborative robots. So basically they, 
they were pioneering like uh, okay what about a robot that it's a little bit safer and doesn't need um, doesn't need an enabling device or whatever and sure. for us it's a little bit the same because you know everything in the iso norms was was made uh, thinking of big industrial robots right i see so it's kind of unfair that you can you have to use the same you know standards for something that small mm. which is basically it fits in my in my uh back sack yeah. sometimes yeah. i just take it home and <laughs> um so yeah it's not a collaborative robot but honestly i i would let i let my my children uh not play with it but you know work with it under my sure. supervision whereas i would never let them you know program a bigger uh so-called industrial uh, collaborative robots sure so uh, i guess i guess I, I could see how it's a marketing maybe more of a marketing term than anything but it's, more, it's more than marketing but still is it, yeah. is it? okay yeah I, i'd always thought that they had internal sensors or some kind of feedback system such that if it hit an obstruction it would shut itself down as opposed to simply just trying to ram itself through whatever i mean depend you know obviously on a small enough scale even if it does that it's not necessarily going to hurt anybody but but i guess i i saw that as the distinction but maybe that's actually uh, so-called collaborative robots most of them they don't have any special sensors they will oh. you know just uh, read the current uh, sure. which any industrial robot by the way does so any industrial robot if it hits something it, it will stop you know it's oh. just that um, I, I wouldn't get into the details. It's about okay. you know redundancy and so on. But um, uh, but no, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, sensors. Uh, and but by the way, even if you use sensors, it will stop when it hits you, and that that's already okay. too late. So basically, you need sure. to, you need to <laughs> design yourself uh, your cell your robotic cell so that the user uh is never in the way of the robot then the robot never handles something you know sharp and so on so it's uh, but any collaborative robot any so-called collaborative robot if it hits you with full its full speed even without any sharp tool it will damage it will make a bigger damage than our non-collaborative robots gotcha I was just searching for the distinction, I guess. I don't, I, but like you say, I guess it gets kind of technical as to what the difference between collaborative yeah, and non-collaborative is. Right, okay. and there are so many different types, you know, some are safer. Uh, like in, in my lab, we have um, so-called collaborative robots from a major uh, lab, uh, major brand. Sure, and sure. Um, they are truly collaborative in, in the sense that um, they're really, not very strong you know and um but others are very very strong you know they can handle 16 kilograms or even more so obviously yeah, it's uh, it, it's a complex issue and th there is something you know it's it's different but uh, again uh, our robot is so small that um it's it's uh, it's not really a problem and by the way our robot is so small that it's actually a component you, mm. you don't build around it you actually put it somewhere that's you know the space is all, already there basically you don't build around the robot you just uh, 
replace and, and again you don't even replace like a human operator because the task if it's not our robot it would probably be some kind of uh, um, custom-made um, device with one or two or three uh, linear guides and some rotary stage so basically you're replacing the need for this kind of custom device most of the applications i would say i've never seen an application that was like previously done by a human operator and then we just you know replace the human app operator with a small mecha 500 it's never the case it's really like it's put insight into some existing machine or it's uh, everything is built with and it, it could have been some custom made linear like uh, xyz and some rotary hat let's say uh but it but but again the difference is that if you build it custom made uh first it's it's probably gonna be more expensive second it will be much much bigger because when mm -hmm. whenever you build this kind of custom system uh, you have lots of cables and you have the controller, very big, and then you have to program and so on. So uh, basically the, the Mecha 500, it, it's really a component. Like sometimes you don't even need the six axis, but it, it, it's, uh, it's, it, at the end it's less expensive to, to put a six axis robot, a small one, than to uh, put... Uh, let's say XYZ and then a rotary stage, something like this. Gotcha, gotcha. It's an interesting way of thinking of it. I think a lot of times we see a robotic arm as being at the center of... Exactly. Like, yeah. and, and the application sort of built around it. But mm -hmm. this is simply, this is almost like an end effector with an end effector in that it, you could put it on a slide, you could put it, you could attach it to a roof or a, a wall or in any orientation that you need it to go, move it around, and it can simply just be, like you say, another component within a much larger, um, much larger application. Are there other considerations that people should think about when they think about robots? Payload, uh, obviously, payload is a big deal, and I think I think the uh, the Mecha five hundred is what between uh, half a kilogram and a kilogram. Yeah, I can handle up to one kilogram, but at reduced speeds. So we, that's why we we just market it as a. 500 grams and with 500 grams you can you know move around at any speed any reach whatever um so yeah of course if you if your application needs to handle more than half a kilo then you can probably not use the mecha 500 but there are so many you know applications that even need less than 500 grams like most of them basically the 500 grams it's mainly for the tooling and then the parts that are handled with the Mecha 500, there are just a couple of drums, gotcha. you know, small objects like, uh, I don't know, assembly of, uh, of tooth in, uh, dental implants or, um, or some kind of chips or small yeah. little brackets that need to be moved from one place yeah, to or held in place while glued or gluing, yeah, or even gluing, uh, like, um, gluing, uh, components, electrical components, uh, small electrical circuits. Um, so yeah, the, the, the 500 gram is, is really for the, mainly for the end effector, like the gripper or the, the, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Something occurred to me while we were talking, but I mean, reach is something that I, is a spec that I usually 
that one usually sees, but I don't know how applicable that is because it's so light and mobile that yeah, that, that, you that's need something, to, you can simply yeah. just move it to where you need. You don't need to necessarily have it rooted to one spot and, and be able to reach far away. You just move it to where it needs to go and then it does the right. fine, fine motion wherever it ends up. Yeah, so payload is something that you cannot you, you cannot lift more than 500 grams, let's say, or one sure. kilogram, okay? But reach, it's one thing that, you know, companies, they would, because of, in bigger robots, reach is a, it's an interesting way to distinguish, you know, okay, this is a big one, this is a small robot. But again, you don't choose your robot by reach, you know, it's not because the robot is able to reach, I don't know, one meter, then you will immediately say, oh, okay, it's, it's good enough. You have to mm. try, right? But um, in our case, it's, you know, the reach, the real definition of reach is the maximum distance between the axis one and um, uh, the, the center point of the wrist, okay? Mm. Mm -hmm. But in our case, the reach, this kind of measurement, it's, um, it's kind of, uh, disproportional with respect to the the distance from the wrist center to the actual end effector so mm -hmm. it kind of doesn't make sense we put it there because customers you know ask for it our sales department asked for it um but it doesn't make sense because first of all it reach doesn't mean anything you know it just means okay it's a small robot but uh it you cannot know if the robot is able to do this and that you have to try it in a simulation software, ideally, like RoboDK, for example. Sure. And as you said, uh, the robot is so small that it's, I mean, any robot you can put on a linear guide, right? But it's um, it's more complex. Uh, the smaller the robot, the easier to put on a linear guide and then to make, you know, the workspace almost unlimited yeah. or on a rotary stage or whatever. So it's very easy to extend the workspace. So that's why sometimes I, I, I you know, I, I don't like like if, if there is a customer and, he's, and the customer, they say, oh, uh, I, I need uh, five centimeters more. Well, first, you know, I'm sure I can, you know, put the robot in some way that you can reach the place you want to reach. And if you really need more, you can, you know, purchase a linear guide uh, and then just mount it on a linear guide and still everything will be more compact than just putting a, a bigger industrial robot. So we've we've sort of we've covered how well it sort of plays with others in the programming and connectivity part. I mean, Ethernet, IP, EtherCAT, TCIP, I mean that covers just about that just that covers like a lot of the PLC and you know and and uh, motion controller market. Um, but on the end effector, is it is it sort of a generic? Is it something that has to be specifically built to? Is it because uh, I know you guys have a, a specially designed gripper from that you worked with Shunk on stuff. But right, as far yeah. as connectivity at the end effector, is that how how does that how is that facilitated so that it sort of has broad application in uh, bigger industrial robots? Usually, you have input output interface. Uh, somewhere near at the end, at the flange, near the flange of the robot, uh, which you can use to connect anything. Well, not anything, but a wide range of end effectors. And that's, uh, that's really useful uh, because in larger industrial robots, you don't want to have like, you know, wires hanging 
along the uh, along the robot. Mm -hmm. So that that's very useful. In the Mecha 500, well, you cannot. There, everything is so compact that, of course, we don't have space to, you know, uh, for uh, let's say pneumatic uh, uh, mm -hmm. tubing along the the arm. We don't have okay. But at the same time, the robot is so small that it's kind of, you don't even have to put it along the robot arm. You can even just let it hanging out, you know, if you really need, a, a, let's say, a pneumatic tool. Sure. So, yes, for like most of the clients, they just purchase the end defector that we, we've developed with Chunk, which is plug and play. But, and we also offer a pneumatic uh, module that, ex that, um, basically just uh, two valves that we control uh, directly from the robot but you still need to you know to um, to connect to a, to a pressurized air sure. so you can just you know leave the the tubing uh, hanging there it's since it's a very short arm it's not a big problem gotcha. and uh, so yeah if you need something very very different like i don't know uh, uh, screwdriver, for example, then you just uh, connect everything directly to the POC. That's the way it goes. I see. So there are certain end effectors that one would need to program separately from the robot. Exactly. And then there yeah. are others that would plug into it and you could just program the entire thing. Yeah. It's kinematics, the whole business and stuff as one continuous. So I, yeah. So I basically anything pneumatic uh you yeah. any, anything pneumatic you can uh, control with our pneumatic pneumatic module sure. uh directly from the robots you can use two of our electric grippers we actually have two one is a oh. small range and another is uh, again with chunk uh larger stroke uh gripper and this you can control directly from the robot and then if you need anything else like uh um uh, dispensing tool, for example. Hmm. Well, I think a dispensing tool in all cases you need to wire it directly because it has its own controller. So, um, but let's say if you have, I don't know, some special uh, gripper, then yeah, you need to to connect it directly to the POC. Thank you for listening to part one of this series with Mechademic's Ilian Bonev. In part two, Ilian will explore common mistakes people make with six-axis robots and in the design of robots and cells in general. He also talks about the company's next robot and Mechademic's plans for the future. Finally, this episode was brought to you by Misumi, your one-stop shop for electrical and mechanical components. Configure your components at misumiusa.com.